Hello, and welcome to another episode of Scripted with me, Daisy Lewis, and down the Zoom rabbit hole today, I have the incredible, multi-talented Emerald Tunnell, last year's Best Screenwriter Oscar winner, and a general round amazing human being. Enjoy. another episode yes another episode of bloody scripted (laughs) with me daisy lewis and sitting down the virtual tube on my computer is the wait for it oscar winning screenwriter emerald fennell the oscar i'm gonna say that so many times it's gonna make both of us feel unwell oscar winning (laughs) screenwriter emerald fennell And I have to, this is a big caveat, by the way, because Emerald has already given me like least two hours of her time to do one of these episodes. And then because of my utter incompetence with everything to do with technology, obviously it didn't work. And so now she has given me yet another half an hour of her extremely expensive Oscar time. (laughs) To do this podcast, my ridiculous podcast. And to tell us how she did it so that we can all go home with Oscars. Emerald, over to you. Okay, well, here it is. Here is the one top tip. Hi, Daisy. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I think this is such a... If you hear any squeaks, there is a small small baby in the corner, which is, I think, a very good illustration of what it is like to be doing both things at once. So I wish that there'd been this podcast for me when I was starting, because I found it quite intimidating and... It's hard to know where to start, isn't it? Actually, yeah. is the main thing. And also to not feel self-conscious. I think a lot of us, particularly if you're an actor or, you know, as you are and as I am. Or a woman. You, you, know, <laughs> you kind of feel so like silly. You want, to, you want to stay in your lane. You don't want to be... I don't know. It's a funny... You feel kind of self-conscious and all of those sorts of things. So for me, I started writing books, which I loved, really loved. But it felt kind of like a, it was sort of nicely delineated, maybe, from working in, in film and telly. And so that's how I started it. I mean, I know you didn't even ask that question. I just... just no, I just... I, I, it sounds a lot like work to me. And I just want to get to the Oscar bit. <laughs> Books, uh, schmucks. What did you wear? Who did you chat to? How, I just... I want the result, but I want it quicker. Can you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Was there a frock that you particularly enjoyed wearing to pitch meetings? This is the big, this, these are the big questions. That's interesting. Do you know what? I actually think that stuff is important, actually, weirdly. I mean, not just the kind of feeling of confidence yeah. and the feeling of, actually, I know this sounds so pathetic and embarrassing, but I found if I went to, like, writing meetings, yeah. I would dress, naturally, I do dress a little bit like a sort of child, a sort of baby toddler and yeah. So I would normally dress, yeah, like a sort of overgrown child. And so if I went into writers' meetings or directors' meetings, I would, yeah, I would kind of wear glasses and a suit. And I know that that's just so 
that sounds like I'm sort of cosplaying or something, but it, it just made me feel a bit more confident. I know no, that's, that's not lame at all. I actually read something recently, like Elizabeth Gilbert has done this kind of amazing mad book on sort of, on called Big Magic. And she was talking about writing and especially about like the sort of state of mind that you have to be in in order to write. And she's like, if you want this inspiration to show up for you, you better show up for it. So like, just make an effort. Like make an effort, get dressed for your computer. I don't make an effort for my computer, as you can see. And when I'm writing, I tend, I definitely will just wear any old smelly thing. Yeah. When it comes to the sort of pitching side of things, which is unfortunately, you know, it's important and it's something that I'm not naturally very good at. And so I found that, you know, to ward off the imposter syndrome, which I think we all have, yeah. whatever stage we're at, is I would kind of like dress for the job I wanted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those, those classic self-help kind of things. Like, uh, it's interesting. Yeah, the starting journey, because I think, so starting... You're an actress, a very, very, very talented one, and a writer. But you are, I know, don't shake your head, they can't see that, but it's literally nothing annoys me more than when you say stuff, when you do stuff. I'm like, I literally want to reach into the screen and shake you to see how good you are. (laughs) But it's interesting that kind of, the day that you give yourself permission to kind of call yourself a writer, because I know that there's a lot of actors who do make that transition across and I what came first the chicken or the egg for you what did you want to do more what did you think of yourself as more well certainly I was acting before I was writing but then but then I guess I've also it's difficult with writing isn't it because at what stage does it you know I suppose you would say the threshold of you being a professional writer is that you're paid to do it. Mm. But in that very, like, super cheesy, gross way, I would say that I've always, 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 my whole life, like, constantly, it's the one thing that I do to relax, and it's the thing that I do... If I don't do it for a while, I feel very mad. It's a kind of real kind of self-help thing for me. It sounds, again, I sound like a nutter. I must say I haven't slept for a few nights because of aforementioned baby. So, <laughs> so I think... Um, both, but professionally, I was acting first. And yes, and it is, it is interesting. I think lots of actors do do it. And it's, and they're, they, they're kind of from, they're two sides of the same coin, really, aren't they? Because yeah. they're both about sort of empathy and sort of up to a point, and this is just like such a stupid word, but I can't think of anything better, noticing. Yeah. You, know, you notice if you're an actor, you're an observer and you're a chameleon and you're practiced at sort of getting inside people's, you know, minds, I suppose, and bodies. And really that's what you're doing when you're writing too. You're kind of like getting inside and you're watching. I think for me, both of them were about watching rather than feeling. I'm probably more of an analytical person than I am an emotional one, maybe. So, yeah, it does make sense. I think particularly if you're a woman still at the moment... You know, the people who are writing really interesting stuff tend to be people who are, you know, still writing for themselves or, you know, have areas of expertise elsewhere. Yeah. Here's an interesting question. How do you love a project once you're getting paid for it? (laughs) Well, don't mind getting paid. I actually think that helps. (laughs) For me, I just... Definitely. You know, there's that bit where it's sort of like, I suppose... 
if I were to be the sort of person who had long-term romantic relationship, <laughs> except if I was in another universe, imagine, <laughs> how do you stay, how do you keep the spark alive <laughs> with a piece of writing that you've been doing for a very long time? Well, I don't know that you can, to be honest. I, I'm it so glad you said that because it's just justified yeah. all of my life choices. It just depends what kind of variety you are. Some people yeah. are absolutely brilliant at long form and that's actually where they like thrive because they want to get into, they want, you know, it's like the difference between like a poem and a novel, I suppose. Yeah. You know, everyone, there are people who are just like good at one or the other thing or, or lot, you know, some people are good at both. I think for me, what I've realised is that I'm not good at the development process as it is now. The one that kind of most people you know, the most studios, most producers work with, which is that you pitch an idea, they will buy it, and then you go away and you write it, no, you write an outline, then there are lots of notes that go back and forth, and then once the outline's finished, you're ready to write the script. I think what I realised for me was that I'm absolutely terrible at that. Not because I mind collaborating on notes, I really like both of those things, and I don't mind them, it's more that the actual script itself for me, if I've by the time in that process it's ready to write, it's already kind of gone for me. It's or, it, it already feels like kind of chewing gum that you've been chewing for too long that's sort of turned into paste in your mouth. So what I've now started doing, which is a luxury because it means that you're not being paid, is I am now writing. So I will write maybe one or two things, to only write one, one thing at one. And, and then once the script is finished then I will show it to people. And it's great because then it means they can decide whether they like the thing itself. And then I think that also just purely from a kind of like experience perspective, you don't watch a film having already discussed it 30 times before even seeing it. And so I think for the people reading, you know, for producers or actors or any of those people, for them, you want to mirror the experience of watching a film or a TV series as closely as you can. So to give people something, you know, my most recent script, which I just finished, when I give it to people, they won't know anything about it at all, even my agents and managers and all of that. So then it's like going into a movie theatre and watching a movie because, you know, and then it kind of lives and dies in its own right, rather than being that thing of you pitch an idea, everyone has a, you know, has a feeling about it and an expectation for it. And then it will inevitably kind of fall short of that expectation because it's a bit like your dream, you know, man or woman. It's like, it's never going to be quite the thing in your head. And so you need to get over that initial like disappointment. So yeah. I try to like head that off by, uh, with the element of surprise, I suppose. I think that's super smart. I mean, it's that interesting sort of thing. It's like death by committee. Do you know what I mean? It's like after you get to the place where sort of, you know, 400 people have had their sort of two pence worth. You just feel sort of so exhausted and kind of beaten down by the whole process that that inevitably the joy and the love for the idea or... And you know what? There's something so juvenile and brilliant about writing as well. Like, so much of it is like, ta-da, I tricked you. <laughs> like, that side of it. Like, the element of surprise. And it's very difficult to kind of... Well, I mean, I think, again, it's sort of, it's weirdly, it's not, I don't even mind so much the committee. I don't, as I say, it's not really about other people. It's more that I realised that the, you know, the nature of this is that 
none of us do it in the same way. I mean, that's why this podcast is so interesting because actually nobody does work best in the same way. And so I realized like the best thing I can do for my sanity and so that I do still enjoy it is to try and kind of do it the way that I like to do it, which, you know, which may mean, for example, you know, you take less money, for example. Yeah. It may mean that, you know, because you're not putting on the old razzle-dazzle at the beginning. Yeah. You know, kind of working the system. You're actually saying like, this is the thing I want to make. And it may actually be a smaller budget and therefore we might take that you know it's just about kind of keeping the thing itself yeah just sort of keeping it protecting it to a certain degree until it's ready yeah and I think it's even more selfish than that actually it's it's that the way that I write which I know sausage the way that I write is I write it all in my head forever so I will only when I actually write on paper when I, tra- when I write it, I think of it as like transcribing, basically. So I will write it for two years in my head and then and then it will all be completely ready and then it will take me like a week to just get it down. But I don't like working on paper at all. Like once I get to the page, it's finished. That's the, the moment I sit down to write it is when it's already done. So like I can't, I wish I was good at editing on the page. I know lots of people just want to keep working those words, keep going in, keep redrafting and all that stuff. And like, I get it totally. It's just not how I do it. I'm like, but it just, I can do it. Like I have to do it like that, but I find it incredibly difficult. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. So we basically, so this is, and primarily what you've been talking about just now is your process with filmmaking and that, and your film scripts. Is that but your experience yeah. on Killing Eve as being a part of a team of writers and, and being a showrunner, how different is that? Same job, well, that's different. Really different. Well, that's really different. But also, again, I, I would say that's different anyway because, because it's television, so you've got a lot more to do. So, you know, by necessity, you want to be collaborative. And, and actually, it was kind of a different thing for me because it had been, I did the second series and it had already been like perfectly, beautifully established by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. So it's, um, hold on, two te- ticks. I'm going to mute and I'm going to just... Absolutely. We shall pause. So Phoebe really did all the hard work, actually, of the kind of world building and the characters and all of that sort of thing. And so really, I felt very much on that one of the things I, I think the best way of describing it is that it was like a doll's house that she built, this sort of beautiful, macabre, funny doll's house. And, you know, for us, for all of the writers on that, it was for us to kind of play with them and lock them in rooms and see. It was a very different experience. And actually, it was sort of, you know, wonderful in its own way because I got to work with loads of incredible people and in the show is amazing. I mean, it was unbelievably difficult just practically because because the show was such a smash that they brought it forward. So we had very little time, you know, just, you know, the, the practicalities of like making a show when it's going, you know, are hard. But I think I've learned now that actually that kind of pressure, that kind of time pressure, I mean, I think I was working like 20 hours a day on it for at least a few <laughs> I think that that sort of weirdly works for me because I sort of, because I, I don't like to get into my own head very much. If I do, I'm doomed. And so the kind of like absolute, the vastness, the sheer like amount of work that was required on that, which was again, like amazing. And I loved it. 
it meant I couldn't sit there and freak out. Yeah. I didn't have time to freak out. I just had to do it. Um, we all did on that one. And so so it was different. And yeah, and like definitely I really, really enjoyed it in a different way. I'm, I'm mostly talking about for film. I think for film I would, I think for TV I would always want to work. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to to the guys at Carnival about Downton. And about, and I just sort of glibly said, well, of course, you know, and if, you know, when, and they were like, no, 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 Julian wrote every episode alone. And I was like, and it literally just, I just thought, that's a lot. It's a lot, but then lots of people are like that. Like, lots of people would, like, I think, like Matthew Weiner, I think, on. Um, Mad Men, I mean, I don't know that, I think he didn't literally write every episode, but he certainly was like on top, you know. Well, this is it. No, I think, yeah, you have to be, I mean, but I remember being on Downton, Julian was on set. I mean, he had, he was there checking the placement of the knives and forks. Wow. Well, it's all about detail, that show, isn't it? That's the thing about, you know, it's all so coded, that behaviour. Totally. And so so it is as important. And I think it's right, because what he's saying is it matters deeply to those characters and stuff. Yeah, 100%. And so it matters to him. And I have, like, huge respect for people who... I think that's probably why I like making, writing and directing so much, because I kind of feel the same as him. Like, I... Um, on Promising a Woman, I was sort of moving, you know, because of the... The nail choices. Oh, all of that stuff. All of that stuff. I mean, that stuff, absolutely. But also the colour of the pens and her notebook. You know, yeah. the, the scrunchie. The, the, and then when you're, then you're looking at the frame and you think, I'm afraid this needs one more dog portrait. You know, <laughs> it's... you, Especially if you're making, like, this is sort of slightly away from the remit, but if you're making a low-budget film uh, or television series, which obviously Downton is most certainly not. But if you are, as I was, you know, like, every single choice gives you, says something about the character. Every single choice tells the audience where you need the emotion. You know, all of that stuff matters a lot. If, if you know, the lipstick colour, the amount of mascara that's dropped down someone's face, that all gives you time passing. That gives you context. And so to not, uh, there were things like we went to one of the boys' apartments and it just wasn't quite messy enough, you know, and then it was like putting chips on the floor and stamping on them. So they were just so they were just a bit grimy. Like yeah. there are those things that just earns you more and it doesn't cost any more money, but it does. But it but it but it but it not it doesn't cost you more money, but it but it adds value, I suppose. Well it it's the sort of traces that a human leaves behind. It's every little thing. It's every little, you know, the sense that she wore. It was the way that she laughed, the way she walked into a room, whether she made the choice between a low heel or a high heel. How does she walk? If she wears high heels, she doesn't have to run. Yeah. It's everything about a lifestyle choice, isn't it? And, you know, and that then needs to go into the script too, so that... I think that, like, if you have the luxury of directing something, I, I tend to be, like, reasonably frugal when it comes to stage directions, mostly because I think people don't actually read them and <laughs> they are sometimes a bit boring. So I tend to be quite spartan with them if I'm going to direct something myself. But in general, I would say that the more detail, you know, and, and it's sort of like focusing on the kind of detail, as you say, it's like, what it's not that useful to say that a room is 
big, but it might be useful to say that the sofa is plasticated. Yeah. That tells you a lot about the room that you're in, or to say that the curtains are drawn, it's midday. Or, you know, it's like, what are those details? Like... That um, are big giveaways. That, well, just that immediately tell all of us yeah. what some emotional, like, mindset is. Is their apartment tidy or messy? Is there... Do they have art on the walls? Do they care? Or are the walls empty because they're, you know, are they a young man who doesn't really think about stuff that goes on walls? Or are they somebody who, you know... Like, all of these things yeah. are just so useful. And, and, and also it's fun stuff, too. And I think as a writer and as a reader, that shows people that that you know everything, that you can answer every question. And it's kind of enjoyable. Yeah. Because I want to about that stuff. That's the stuff I want to read. So you're in a writing, you're in a cycle at the moment. You're in a writing cycle. Yeah. Would you say that it comes in cycles? That it's sort of cyclical in its nature do you go in and then come out well yes and no because because again because of the like process that I have of writing in my head Mm. which sounds so like stupid but it really is that I don't really know how to describe it because that's actually what I am doing on a semi-permanent basis so what will happen is that I have my life yeah and then I have a parallel life of the world yeah so I will just live in both places. Yeah. So I will divide my time up between those two places. Yeah. So to me, it is cyclical in the sense that I do that and then I will kind of quickly write. But it's difficult because it sounds like I, I only write for like a week, but that's not true. I write all the time. It's just that the actual writing doesn't happen. It's a bit like saying to sort of, you know, a kind of an Olympic athlete, well, how often do you run? I've only seen you actually do a race for a certain amount of minutes. And, and you're like, the training that goes into it, the physiotherapy, the, you know. It's definitely, for me, I think it's, it feels fairly continuous. Yeah. And then it's a kind of, at the end is a sort of purge, you know? Yeah. Here's and a- it's a kind of relief. But then after that, a bit like any kind of purge, I I don't really want to go back. Like I do, of course I do, because practically speaking, you have to. But I will get, I will, what I hand in as a script, what I'm going to hand in now and what I handed in from Saying Woman was as close as it could possibly be to the final draft. And really, you know, I think what we shot was the second draft of the script. Physically written down the second physical draft. But, but that know, takes yeah. a hell of a lot of confidence. And that's, that in yourself, in your own vision, in a sense, not to be swayed or need approval? I suppose so, but I suppose, but again, but for me, I have written it a thousand times. Yeah. Because I've tried every which way in my head first and I had every conversation in my head a million times so that I know that the one that's going down on paper... And so I do feel confident because I know that when people ask almost any question, I can say, absolutely, there was a version of this where this happened. Yeah. And when I say that, it's absolutely the case. It just didn't exist on paper because I like to save that right for the end. Because yeah. for me, also, it gives the kind of, it gives the conversation sort of realness and an immediacy to yeah. just write it down like that. I think if for me with dialogue, if I overwork it, it becomes very verbose and pretentious because I'm naturally quite a pretentious person. So... I um I try and ward that off. Yeah. 
head it off. The screen right now is literally how you can get anything done. I have a dog and I literally, I mean, the poor creature is just like, I don't leave it alone. And I can see this human being with the biggest smile I've ever seen bouncing up and down on my screen. With the biggest smile saying, what did you say? Did you say she's the best mother in the world? Hey, did you say she's the most beautiful woman you've ever seen? <laughs> no, thank you. No, so it's oh, it's so weird, isn't it? Because you talk to people in like it's a bit like acting, actually. When when I talk to my friends who do it, you know, certainly because you and me have worked together, we've written together, and like just it, everyone's system is so. See, it sounds mad. To you. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so my system sounds like completely insane to lots of people. In the same way that, like, method acting sounds bonkers to me. Well, your system, I think the thing is about your system, your system sounds, I think, uh, definitely for me, like, a lot of the time, I have needed other people to tell me my work's good enough because I haven't fundamentally believed in it myself. And that's where, in the past, you know, there's a very fine line, I find, for me, between needing the approval of other people in order for me to kind of feel confident in it and also like accepting that other people might bring something to it because I I swing from both ways I can either be like I need you to really like this and I'll change anything to make you like it or how dare you have an opinion on something which you obviously know nothing about and I have lived breathed and felt this experience I, I vacillate between these two mad worlds. I, but I think, but so do I. It's just later. Yeah. It just happens later. I mean, you know, if you think that when I send this script out, I will be sitting by the phone, like a kind of girl, like, you know, <laughs> teenage girl, like waiting for my teacher to call me up and give me a good grade. Like, if I could be graded... just give me a percentage out of a hundred how like sinister is that i long it's i long it's terrible i had to ask ask, um, my tutor at at university to because he wouldn't kind of give us you know the feedback he gave us was really insightful and brilliant but he he didn't want to give us grades and i was like i'm so sorry you're gonna have to give me present you're gonna have to give me marks because i don't really I need a new mar- I need to be marked. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. So weird. But I asked I the same thing on dates, bizarrely. <laughs> After sex. Yeah, I say, I say, I know that enjoyable, you had a nice time. No, no, no. I need grade. I need yeah. marks. I need a numeric <laughs> value to my... <laughs> Where I rank in the, against all of your ex-girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it. It's like you cannot ever get away from, of course you want people to, you know, it is. It's like I I, I sort of said, I, I was saying like, you know, when I was trying to describe like the film coming out to people and I said it was like me kind of like taking off my shirt and asking people to like say what they thought. <laughs> standing in the street, taking your top off and saying like, what do you guys think? And you know. <laughs> Some people will be like, yeah, great. And some people are like, absolutely not. I hate this and I hate you. And that is tough, you know. Yeah. It is tough. So I don't know that anyone is immune. Like, I'm sure there must be some, like, 
I don't know, I can't imagine who. But no, if you write things, you're writing them because you want to communicate with people. You want to talk about something and you want to, I don't know. So, so of course, it makes you very vulnerable. And so it means that you can be both absolutely incredibly needy and incredibly defensive. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. And again, it's just about kind of like with everything, like with relationships, like with life in general. It's about working out where the balance is like useful to you. Yeah, well, this is it. Does it serve you? Does it serve the project? And who serves you? And who who are you giving to read stuff? Because I have a handful of people that I really trust to read things who, you know, for example, are not necessarily my closest friends um, or are not like collaborators. Not because I don't think those people are incredibly useful. It's just that you find that there are some people who kind of kept what you're trying to do. Yeah. And there are people who... I don't know, the number of times I've seen friends of mine be crushed because they asked the wrong person to read something and that person took it upon themselves to, like, tell them what they would do. Do you know what I mean? Oh, like, God. You've just, you've got to be very, very careful about who you show your work to, too, because you, can, because you are vulnerable and if some, and people can use it as an excuse to sort of, like... Crap yeah. all over you, just for oh, fun. No, yeah, bit, yeah. Sure. And God. that's um, and you can you find that with some you know I've had friends who've had agents like that yeah you know and it's you you just need to make sure that the people who are around you are honest yeah and you really trust their opinion and you really think their opinions are good and insightful because some people just might not be useful to you. I think oh God these are all such grown up things I think so much of it is about kind of is about believing in in what you're doing to a certain degree and then not caring to a certain degree just sort of doing it and kind of letting it go the thing that i have found so useful and it's the same thing that everyone says so like it's not like a news flash but like and book writing books because i love writing books i hope i get the chance to write another one soon but the volume it's volume the thing that gave me confidence is that i have written you know, I've just written so much. Yeah. Not all of it. I mean, there's, there are, I have a ton of stuff, a ton of scripts, a ton of, I have a whole book. I have a, a 90,000 word book that is garbage. I have 10 scripts that are nonsense, at yeah. least, at least, and then hundreds of unfinished ones. But the thing is, is if you do that all the time, if you constantly do it, you can be confident because there's always another thing. Yeah, yeah. If people don't, there's always another thing you start again you do something else that's what gives you confidence is the knowing you can do it and knowing that this one thing that you're doing is not the be all and end all so even though I'm right I write stuff one thing at a time you know if when I hand the script over partly the reason I do it like this is I will say I'm under no one's under any obligation to make it nor am I yeah so if it's not good enough if people don't like it Something else. Yeah. Not forced to make something you know is not good. I mean, I I love this thing that I've just done, but I wouldn't... I, but if people were honestly like, this is shit, then great, fine, fair enough. Do it again. Something yeah. else. That's what gives you the confidence. Yeah. Just doing it all the time, you know? It's like, it's a job as well. It is a job. And so it means that you have to do it every day and you have to do it all the time and you have to know that that you can, you know, yeah. like anything. That's, that's what empowers you, I think. Well, so it's, for me, it has. And it's a luxury to be able to write all the time because 
I was lucky that I had a job that I was on called the midwife um, and I had a six month hiatus. I mean, not no, most people aren't that lucky. Well, I think you work pretty hard too, mate. It has to be said. <laughs> I mean, like there is there is that, you know, there is luck. And of course, that has to be taken into account. But it's when luck meets grit that um, that you start, you know, winning Oscars, I suppose. It's so depressing. I find it so depressing. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> I completely oh, How bloody dare you? I well it's listen quite, it's just quite show showy obvious. No, it's not. It's really inspiring. And it makes me wildly grateful that I can call upon you at nine AM when you have human life and art to contend with and for forty six minutes now I have your insight and inspiration to share with, with other hum animals who are on their own little journey of trying to make things. But um, I'm going to adore you and let you get on, you know, winning more Oscars and Mother of the Year and doing all the stuff so that you can tell me how to do it when I finally grow up enough to actually um, <laughs> to get to that stage. You have done it. <laughs> I don't know, Reg would beg to differ. <laughs> My love, thank you so much. It was such a treat. Oh, I'm going to stop the recording now, but that doesn't mean you need to go away because I still want to catch up with you. So, ladies and gentlemen, exiting the the Zoom building is the legend that is Emerald Fennell. Thank you, Emerald Fennell, again. (laughs) Yes, yes, it's me again, begging, borrowing and stealing your love, money and claps. Please, if you've enjoyed this episode of Scripted, give me a like, send us some money. No, you don't have to do that. Um, But it would be great if you could tell other people about the podcast so more people can enjoy it. Thank you.